You know, every Monday morning, whether on the radio or from our weekly newsletter, you receive a weekly blessing from Susie Larson. Now, over the years, we've been so ministered to by how God uses Susie's words to bring comfort and at times an occasional challenge and so much encouragement. We expect more of the same today as we reconnect with Susie, an author, a podcaster, popular speaker, and radio host. Her newest book is called Closer Than Your Next Breath. Susie, welcome back to the Morning Conversation. Always honored to get time with you. Thank you. So, Susie, we're going to talk this morning about your newest book, uh, Closer Than Your Next Breath. And I always just want to know, what ushered that book? I remember as a young believer hearing the story of a wandering sheep. This little sheep wandered and got in a thicket, broke its leg, and the shepherd went to get the sheep and carried it around his neck. And this wandering sheep suddenly was so attached to the shepherd that its little heart started to beat in rhythm with the shepherd. So once the leg started to heal, that little sheep stayed close closer even than the other sheep and needed to be so intimately near. That is what God fostered in this battle with illness. And as we came into marriage, Kevin had been raised in evangelical faith. I hadn't. And so I was like on fire. So part of it was excitement, but part of it was, you know, I often say I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. So going to, you know, bed rest three months with one pregnancy, six months with the other, and then simultaneously getting bit by the deer tick and going back to bed with Lyme disease with three little boys was so devastating and it confronted all my insecurities. So in that place of deep, deep, deep dependence is a place where I encountered God. It seems often he's addressing issues of lordship, of identity, and God did that. You know, he intervened in my life in really supernatural ways. But when the times in between happen, that's where I would start to panic. In the book, I say, you know, we often chase the sensational and miss the supernatural. And I think we do that because once you've encountered him once, you want to encounter him again. There's You acquire a taste. You know, that's why David says, how lovely is your dwelling place? But if you don't understand his character, you'll go from one event to the next, trying to find God again. Oftentimes it's coming from a motivation, like I've got to feel now what I felt then. But my whole hope and dream is that not only can we seek him because as you draw near, he draws near, but we could in the times in between know how to navigate that with a solid assurance of his character. So how do you navigate the silent seasons? It really was born out of, well, my life verse is Psalm 169. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I mean, my oneness with Him is everything. But there are silent seasons. There are in-between seasons. Those are the times to remind your soul of what He said before and who He is. So it's coming out of a long journey with the Lord and understanding more about His character and His presence. So whether it is, you know, Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, and or Joseph, and uh, God appeared and spoke to them physically, right? The angel appeared. But He didn't keep coming back every week and say, hey, remember? Remember? Like, there wasn't some kind of experience. Like, they had to steward hold on to that word that God spoke to them as they then begin to walk that out through all the things that they had to walk out from there. And that's exactly my point, because we do tend to have air amnesia and the Israelites did as well. And so I've honestly been looking at their story because I'm like, I don't want to make those same mistakes. And I have made a lot of those same mistakes, but we've got to remember who he is, remember his miracles, remember he's the same God and and to stay in awe of who he is. So like in my own journey in life, I, I've often thought to myself, you know, God never promised me that I won't go through hard times, but what he does promise is he will walk with me through it. So that sounds good and it is good and it is true, 
But then we hit those times like we're talking about this morning when I don't feel him. I don't sense him. I'm not hearing him. I'm, I feel like I'm pushing all the right buttons that I've understood and pulling all the right levers that I know and I've been told and I'm hearing nothing. How do we think about that time? Sometimes we can't hear him and sense him because of our own busyness or, you know, I always say my first point of contact is me. I pray Psalm 139, search me, oh God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts and point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me in your everlasting way. And, And it's not to say that every attack or every silent season is your fault, but there are times that we don't know what we don't know and we can't see what we can't see. There are other times you are seeking him. You know, my friend Maria says, search your heart. And if the Lord shows you something, repent, there are just times we have to go on what we know. If you can't hear what he's saying, you remember what he said. Like you said, stewarding the leadings, write those things down because you can go back and go, these are the things that in in the light, in those moments of clarity, the Lord spoke to me and then rehearse them again. So you think about all the times we cry out to God and our cries reach his ears and he answers. You know, God sent them Moses, a deliverer. He parted the sea. He loaded them down. They never, that first generation made it to the new promised land, because when the answer came, it wasn't met by faith. So you think about they did not appreciate the miracles. They they were so identified with their struggle and not identified with God's promises that that kept them out of the promise that God has. So the second thing is they stopped marveling at the mercies of God. We need to be in constant awe of his morning mercies. And the third thing is it says they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. And one of the things I try to do in this book and then the following devotional that comes in January is to move us from bracing for impact to anticipating God's goodness, to know his character so deeply that you're not waiting for the next shoe to drop in those times in between. You're getting more and more confident that he is good. So those are some of the things that I'd say we can cultivate in our life in the times in between. It would please God and it'll change our perspective. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about the place of faith and what does that mean and what does that look like in this whole battle of recognizing where God is and isn't in the times of quietness. Yeah. You know, I just read a quote from Fenelon this morning about the place of faith is the place of almost like a joyful uncertainty. Hmm. If you go to that place where he's been faithful and he's going to be faithful again, I know it's easier said than done. You and I both suffered physically Mm -hmm. significantly, but what I'm telling you, I feel like those three secrets in Psalm 106, seven and sit with them for a little bit, because where we tend to go is we go to grumbling, we go to forgetting, we do exactly what the Israelites did. In the Psalms, it says they never entered the promise land because they refused to believe God's promise to love and care for them. So they stayed in their tents and grumbled and refused to obey the Lord. Their fear became rebellious. Their unbelief became rebellious. And we will drift to those places when we get offended with God in the times in between. But if we could truly, truly believe that in the time in between, there's going to be a day where our faith becomes sight, where we see Jesus. Every single obstacle, every single battle, every single blessing is an opportunity for eternity. It's a chance to give God the glory he deserves. It's a chance to trust him for the God that he is. When I pull the miracles of old to the forefront of my mind to say, okay, if I'm not right now a experiencing the presence of God or walking in the miracle that I long for, I'm going to pull some of the miracles from scripture, bring them to the forefront to say he is the same God. I'm also going to reach into my history and recall some of the, like you said, stewarding the leadings, 
recall some of the times he intervened in my life. And I'm going to remind myself, he's the same God. I'm going to remember and appreciate his miracles of old because he's the same God. And the second thing, the idea of his marveling and his mercies. I mean, there's so many things that he's covered in your life. Love covers a multitude of sins. He doesn't cover it up. He doesn't blink an eye and look the other way. He doesn't minimize it. He sent his son to die for it. But there's so many things that you've maybe done or said that could have exposed you and gotten you into trouble where the Lord Jesus himself, he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. I mean, think about that. I mean, there's times if you're just bent on sin privately, publicly, he will allow you to be exposed. But what I'm saying is just our humanity. There's He just, he wraps us up in his love. I think faith is an amazing thing. And you look at how Jesus in the, in the New Testament marveled at unbelief and he marveled at faith. Just kind of pushing in a little bit more to this whole faith. Is faith obedience? Do I have any control over whether I have faith or not? Yeah, faith is absolutely not a feeling. There's times you're going to have the feelings that back up your faith, but it's absolutely a choice and it's based on the character of God. You know, I was just on the set of Life Today with James and Betty Robinson and Anne Graham Lotz was there, but during her segment, she held up the Bible and she's talking about those in-between times when you need faith. And she said, every promise is a prophecy. And I thought, wow, that is so good because there are times when uh, the Bible doesn't feel true. And I don't know about you, Stan, as someone who's battled with health, but I've had people, you know, there are lanes of theology that think that we can dictate to God and we'll get him to do what we want him to do. That A plus B always equals C. So if you're sick, it's your fault. You missed a step. And that is just like so gut-wrenching to me. And I will submit to you that you can minimize collateral damage if you live for the Lord, walk in the fear of God, understand that his promises are your armor and protection. I think scripture is pretty clear that when you walk in the fear of the Lord, he treats his children differently than the wicked who reject him. He does. But there's an element of suffering that's going to happen on a fallen planet. Mm. So what do you do in those places? I don't understand the mystery of why some get miraculously healed like that. Some are healed as they go, and some are healed when they graduate into heaven. I would say I'm a walking miracle with how sick I was 30 years ago and how sick I was with the relapse eight years ago. My faith has changed me, but also I have really good Christian doctors, and I work super, super hard because I have stuff that I want to do. So there's been this kind of collaboration where I work like it depends on me, and I pray like it depends on God, and I'm just making health, you know, an example. But faith for me, when I'm under it, when I wake up all inflamed and my face is numb and my neck, it's so stinking discouraging. But then I go back to the promises of God. That's so different to me than begging and pleading and complaining. And he'll take us however, but I'm saying I never feel stronger in my faith when I'm begging and pleading. I always feel something physiologically change in my spirit and in my body when I pray from above my circumstances to say, God, I don't know how, but I know I'm going to be symptom free one day. I know you're faithful. I know you care about the human condition, but let the weak say I am strong. Here's where I am today. This is what I've got to offer today. I've got work to do today, and I'm going to trust you're going to take my offering and multiply it, and that you're going to use me in ways that are disproportionate to who I am. That's what faith looks like for me, is to take sides against my flesh, engage my spirit to go, this may not feel true today, but it's still true because God is not moody. He doesn't change with the wind. He's the same God. Maybe sometimes and some things that you learned, did you learn them while you're in it or did you learn them 
reflecting back on the times of silence? And I would say yes and yes. <laughs> I learned them while I was in it and learned more after the fact, right? He's near to the brokenhearted. You know, Paul said in Philippians 3, I want to know him. And then he says, in the, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And I really realized that those are the two places in life where we really, really know him, where we are walking in resurrection power. And I would submit you need to contend for that. If you're living kind of in a spiritual apathy and not asking for mountain moving faith, like there is an apathy in the body of Christ that grieves me, where we just sort of shrug our shoulders and hope it works out. Resurrection power is something we contend for. But the other place is in the fellowship of suffering. The times for me in the suffering seasons, you know, there are times I opted for fear or times I opted for anxiety. But when I really wanted to find him in that place, I always did. Not to say that he did what I wanted him to do, but he is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And in the suffering place, there is some little grace space where you can encounter the peace that passes understanding. He promises it. And I think sometimes we miss it. We want a break. And he's like, no, I'm after a breakthrough. You know, He's always after the bigger story for us. So there are times when it felt silent, but I was railing against my symptoms or my circumstances But if I could get over myself and submit to God, I would find a peace. Now, there were other times I was just hurt because, you know, like I said, he might have been speaking about this over here with my work, but crickets when it came to my health. And then when I would pour out my heart to him, he would bring some kind of revelation or insight from the word. He gives you strength equal to the task. And there is an end date to your suffering. And there is a limit to what the enemy is allowed to do in your life. So navigating those silent seasons for me was constantly dying to my flesh, determining to want him more. And every time I was able to get to that place, I would find something of him. And then coming out the other side, I would feel like, oh, my word, I found treasures in the dark places. So in those places where he's not talking, remember, Remember his character. He will meet you and reveal his heart to you. Susie, I'd love for you to interact around this thought that I've had for numerous years. And it's always sobered me. And it's just the reality that whatever we're going through, those hard times, those potentially at times dark times, struggle, wherever they came from, that those seasons are going to end. But choices that we make ultimately in those times, how we respond in those times, that's going to last sometimes for a long, long time. Love to kind of hear your thoughts on that. That is so true. They say, don't make a permanent decision in a temporary season. I think we do that, Stan, when we are more bent on relief than redemption. And when we're in those places of utter discomfort, where we, you know, it's pain, discomfort, whatever, we are so addicted to relief, especially in the society, but the click of a button. And this is why, you know, I think Barna reported a few years ago, Christians and non-Christians on paper look no different, that our default medications, and I'm not talking medicine, I'm saying our our default numbing mechanisms are the same. Again, I'm not saying this out of condemnation, but, you know, we going to these things before we're going to the things of God for, and yet in suffering like Paul was saying, is where we find fellowship with the Lord. That's why I think our young people need mentors, seasoned people of the faith, to walk with them through, to don't make a permanent decision here. I see young women, as soon as they hit a hard patch of marriage, they're out. And then they realize once they ditch that marriage that they they had the resources to work it through. Walking through these times is what mature 
towards us. And I'm telling you, the times where I was tempted to make a quick relief choice and the Lord said, suspend those choices for now and trust me and walk through the valley. Don't skirt around it. I came through so much richer, so much wiser, so much more equipped for the next phase of ministry. And I write in one of my way older books about a low time in our marriage. And we've been married 38 years. I love him more today than I ever have. And I look at what God has built in the fortress of our marriage because we hung in there and how many people find shelter in the fortress of our marriage because we hung in there. I love that you brought that up because maybe somebody's listening today and you're tempted to make a quick choice because relief is the most important thing to you. Don't let that be the most important thing. Find the presence of God. Ask him, what does obedience look like here? What does faith look like here? Because you cannot mature without perseverance. You can't. So if you have all these starts and stops, you're always quitting things, cutting off relationships, you'll never mature. And then you'll have this wake of brokenness in your past. One of the things that you write about is you talk about God remembers and God forgets. And you talk about this whole kind of interplay between those two. So yeah, I would love to kind of to hear that, to kind of from your heart today. Yeah, that's the last chapter in the book. It's my favorite chapter. We're so often remembering the things that God has decidedly forgotten, and we're forgetting the things He's distinctly asked us to remember. In this relapse, it was so devastating to me. I'd forgotten some of the promises that He'd reminded me of, that He'd made to me. But in that chapter, I talk a lot about Abraham and Lot. And Abraham, you know, was a man who feared God. Lot grew and got wealthy under Abraham's mentorship and tutelage. And suddenly their flocks, their herdsmen started to bicker. And Abraham's like, you know, let's not let this get in between us. I mean, Abraham was just so open-handed trusting God. When judgment was finally coming to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angels told Lot to warn his family, he went to warn his family. They thought he was joking. You know, he camped so long among the ungodly, he literally lost his credibility. It's like, imagine being in that house, the chaos of men pounding on the door. You're one of the daughters, and, and you hear your dad say, take my daughter, your life's going to be forever altered. But the angels blind the mob and slam the door shut, and you're completely saved from this life-altering trauma. And you're looking at your dad going, wait, what? And then he's still negotiating. Can we go here instead of there? The sinfulness of the culture had so immersed this family in, in the contrast of Abraham so submitted to God, who no doubt was interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah on Lot's behalf. You think of the contrast of these two. If you only read about Lot, one would think maybe he was a poser. I mean, maybe he was pretending to be a person of faith. And even Sarah, Lord promised a child, laughed on the inside and told Abraham, sleep with our mistress. And then she gets pregnant and then he blames, she blames the husband. Look what you've done to me. And yet in Hebrews, it says their faith gained them a good reputation. And I'm like, really? Because those seem like reputation records to me. I would have judged Lot as thinking he's not saved. And Stan, we're doing the same thing today. We're making decisions about people's eternity, right? Heaven knows who belongs to God and who doesn't. And that was a shock to me to read that Sarah and Abraham and Lot are mentioned in the Hall of Faith. I'm not surprised by Abraham, but Sarah and Lot, especially Lot, the things God forgets, he forgot their sinfulness. He remembered their faith. He sees the smallest seed of faith in the heart of man. And that should comfort you if you have a prodigal. But I should also be a cautionary tale because it doesn't mean it doesn't matter how you live. Because I would say, you know, in scripture, at first or second Corinthians, it talks about all your work will go on the altar. Some are going to be as though they barely escape the flames, as though they're almost barely saved because they have nothing to show for their life of faith. Because you have this one life to live as unto God. And when we see Jesus face to face, it'll take our breath away. When we see what he rewards, you give a cup of cold water 
He makes note of it. You forgive someone when it doesn't suit you. There's a rich heavenly reward waiting for you. And yet we have live in such a, a sense of unbelief and a lack of reverence before God that we squander our lives in a way as if it doesn't matter. And it matters very much. Kind of coach us a little bit on the best use for this book, The Closer Than Your Next Breath. I love having you on. I love talking about the resources that God births out of you. I know why you do what you do. And it has zero to do with monetary gain, <laughs> like zero. Uh, so you pour yourself out uh, for Jesus and for his glory and, and grace to be experienced by others. Coach us a little bit on how you would see, man, if you really want to kind of meet with God through this resource, what would that look like? Well, I would take your time for one thing, and I'll let you in on a little secret. I haven't said this publicly yet, but we've got an exclusive thing with uh, Christian Book where I recorded a short like 15-minute video for each chapter. So if you want to take it a little further as a group, when the release date is August 15th, uh, once that hits and you buy from Christian Book, you get instant access free to those videos. But either way, so you can, you know, you know, some are going to read it and not want to go through the reflection questions. They're not extensive, but there's a few questions where I ask you, spend some time in these two chapters of scripture, write down and notice the miracles or the manifestations of God. What is he wanting to teach you in that? Things like that. And then there's a prayer section. You can decide to take it as far and as deep as you want or not. I would ask that you take your time. I'd ask you to get a journal and more than anything, that you'd create some space in your life to linger with God. And so there's a little action step each day. Like one day I say, turn off all your notifications, light a candle, sit with God, put some instrumental music on, and give God some time and space to speak to you. Stan, there's just nothing like His presence. And I think when we see Him face to face, we may have for the briefest moment wished we would have treated Him the way He deserves to be treated, that we wish we would have accessed the presence that He's given us unhindered access to him 24-7. And to know that every time we come boldly into his presence, he's glad to see us. What would be more important than being with God? So that's what my prayer and hope is you can spend time so that the stuff, that the content can go deep. And then when you're done, you're more in love with God than you've ever been before. Well, Susie, you have done it again, or should I say, God's done it again. He has used you to bless us with another great resource that I can see will provide some much-needed support to so many when we face those hard and lonely moments. Susie, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always so honored. And one of these days I'm coming to Nebraska, and I'm going to be in studio with you face-to-face. I would love that. Yes, God bless you.